This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? I'm doing super, thanks. Yeah. Uh, big news, Thomas. Uh, Equity Mates has a new community on the internet uh, mm. that you can get involved in. Uh, head over to community.equitymates.com. Uh, you might be a member of the Equity Mates Facebook uh, chat group at the moment. Uh, that's all moving online where it's much bigger, it's much better. There's a whole section just for us, Thomas, which is exciting. Hey. Uh, so you can go there. There's a comedian versus economist, uh, I don't know what you call it, a channel, group, chat room. Subreddit. Subreddit. <laughs> we don't understand these things, but you can go there. Uh, you can leave us a message, comment on the shows, uh, any of the feedback we'd love to get coming in through there and uh, start to build out that community. It'd be really exciting. Uh, but as always, a big show coming up, so let's mm. get stuck into it. Uh, the Perth Mint is no longer the gold standard in, well, gold. Turns out they might not have many standards at all, actually. Uh, the head of Nikola, as in Tesla, but not Tesla, is in trouble for wanting to be Tesla, but not actually being Tesla. <laughs> and you've got to give Goldman Sachs credit. No, hang on. Goldman Sachs has to stop giving you credit. Uh, it looks like they might have a subprime problem again. <laughs> but first, inflation in the US has hit and the price of butter, eggs, milk, and honey has skyrocketed. Good luck if you're trying to make a yo-yo biscuit anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> Artists have actually announced that they're going to pivot to just yo biscuits as a bit of a cost-cutting measure. Shrinkflation. <laughs> uh, Thomas, what's going on with the US inflation? Oh, so dumb. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so rock markets last week went came out Wednesday. Um, shook markets came in higher than expected. Uh, S and P five hundred dropped four and a half percent on the day. Big drop. Mm. Uh, ASX followed suit. Ended up closing the week down two and a half percent. So it was the big news of the week in terms of the share markets. 
Yeah, and just inflation is worse than expected is sort of the basic story. So CPI came in at 8.3% in the month of August. Um, that was down slightly from 8.5% in, in July. But the key number that everyone's looking at is core CPI. So that's what the central banks are interested in. Um, that's what they're watching. And that was up from 5.9% in July to 6.3%. So pretty decent step up and a lot worse than people were expecting. Right. Fuel, fuel was down, so that was the only good news story in the print. So, yeah, petrol prices are easing, but groceries, shelter, medical care is all up. Household electricity bills are up 16% on the year, which is the biggest jump since 1981. Yeah, so inflation pressures in the system and not going anywhere by the looks of things. So you mentioned that it was slightly lower than mm. July is that a good thing? Like that says it's heading the right way. Is it just that we missed expectations? Is that is it the old expectations missed? No, no, yeah. So it's head, headline CPI was down. Right. But headline includes volatile items, so it can jump around a bit. Right. And so the central banks look to your core CPI measures, mm. which try to, like in, we look at the trim mean in, in, in Australia. So we're just trying to like sort of cull some of that noise and get, a, get the essential... CPI mm. in, in, yeah. This is why this inflation. is why it really does pay to read beyond the headlines. Like normally, mm. I just read the headlines and I, I feel like I'm informed. But classic example, you've got to read in and get the core of the the article. Mm. <laughs> in this yes. case, the inflation. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's uh, so that's bad. Is is this? Is this finally the end of the idea of transitory inflation? Can we now say that it's it's here, it's here to stay? Yeah, it's it's sort of looking like, and I think that's what that's what markets reacted to. So I think there was a bit of hope that yeah, the, in, based on the previous month, that inflation might be starting to ease. We knew it was driven largely by some electricity prices and and some sort of one-off shocks. There was some hope that that might not bleed through the economy into into the other production sectors. That sort of seems to be put to bed now that, yeah, inflation is in the system. It is moving through the system. It's not going to pass quickly. Mm. You know, like sort of nine months ago, people were saying, yeah, inflation's coming, but it'll be six months in and out and we'll be back to back to normal. That's, you know, that's not happening. And it's, yeah, worse, worse than expected. Uh, market economists in the US are locked in a, a third consecutive 75 basis points hike at the, <sighs> the meeting this week. Yeah, so that's three big hikes in a row. Is that largely because uh, Jerome Powell mm. has said we're going to raise by another 75 points? <laughs> is that, is that why that? they're so confidently locking it in? You can't bank on that, though. You can't. <laughs> you got to read between the lines when he says something like that. you take the nuance in his <laughs> statement which said, yeah, we're probably going to raise another 75 points. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I might have. I don't take me on that. I might have imagined that I read that somewhere. But I, I didn't. I didn't read that. But yeah. But maybe. Maybe I right. did. Well, I do. I'm much. I'm, I have my ears much closer to the ground. I think. Yeah. I think we've established that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I guess this may. This is bad for interest rates. They're just going to keep going up. Yeah. So that sort of that hope that we might see some smaller hikes. Same story in Australia. There was sort of some hope some talk in the markets that the next rate hike might only be 25 basis points. Mm. Markets are now locking in 50 um, at the next meeting as well because uh, inflation, yeah, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So it looks like we've got another 50 on the cards. 
ECB, the European Central Bank, moved last week as well. They hiked by 75 basis points. Uh, another big hike. Um, that's on the back of 50 basis points in the previous meeting in July. Guess where their interest rates are now? Oh. <laughs> this is why we never play games with economists. This is... <laughs> Hey, want to play a fun game? Guess where England's guess where Europe's interest rates are. I don't want to play. I don't know. <laughs> where yeah, are they? 70, 75 basis points. What? Didn't you ask me to guess where their interest rates were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've hiked to 75 basis points to 75 basis oh, points. Right. So they <laughs> Oh, there's the, that's why it's fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Right. So at July they were they were at zero, flat zero. In mm. June they were at negative point five percent. So rates in Europe were still negative up to a couple of months ago. Right. That's with inflation running at nine point one percent. They still thought, nah, don't trust that. Transitory. Transitory. Yeah, it's going to keep. <laughs> Why keep were rates they so negative. slow? Why didn't they? I mean, I think this is this is the thing. So. Central banks have been waiting for a long time for inflation to show its head and inflation consistently disappointed. Mm. And it just seemed to, inflation just seemed to grind lower and lower and lower. And central banks were undershooting their targets for for most of the 2010s. This, and so this is sort of the idea of secular disinflation. So the disinflation is when the inflation rate goes down from, say, two to one. You've still got inflation, but it's lower inflation. So that's disinflation. Mm. Secular disinflation in the sense that it's disconnected from the market cycle. It's just driven by longer-term structural factors, megatrends, if you will. And no one has a clear gr- grasp on on what that's about. Like some of it's about trade. It's about the onlining of massive production sectors in Asia, which brings the cost of things down. The idea that I kind of, I, I like how I sort of think about it is that in a mature economy, our ability to produce things more efficiently massively outpaces our desire to buy more stuff. Mm. And so you have this, expansion of productive capacity which pushes down the price of everything because you're just doing it more cheaper with less resources but consumers are sort of tapped out once you're like you know in a mature economy like australia like there isn't that much more that you need really like Mm. you know you need your basics and then your discretionary stuff it's like well you know how much do you really need you just bought a 20 meter ethernet cable (laughs) (laughs) just before we went on air So I guess that's something. <laughs> like my consumption, you know, if you look at the pace of growth in efficiency versus the pace of my consumption growth, you know, efficiency is much, much bigger. And so, yeah, so price of stuff is coming down faster than demand pressures are pushing prices up. We can think about it that way. And so in a mature economy that that you have this dis- disinflation dynamic and then as – Globally, the entire global economy is maturing. That this dynamic that's played out in the the advanced Western world is now playing out in in developing Asia and in you know another decade in Africa. And so, disinflation is sort of the is the that's that's the long run trend. 
And I think central banks are looking at this this spike in inflation and saying like, okay, maybe it's not temporary in the sense that it's in and out of the system in six months or something, mm. but is it a secular turn? Are we just looking at a, at a brief spike in inflation before we return to this disinflationary dynamic? And then we're mm. going back to having negative interest rates and, you know, in that scenario everyone goes Europe, everyone, every, the whole world follows Europe into negative interest rates. Mm. Um, and that's, that's just where we're at. The secular concept's an interesting one because I, I heard about, I, watching a video the other day, and there was this guy who said, we're in a secular bull market, mm. which is like similar to what you're saying. It's such a long-term thing. Like we're still in a, bull, a secular bull market. And the mm. interviewer even was like, shut up. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no, no, this is like this is just a, a down period mm. but in a secular bull market. Uh, he, didn't, he did about as good a job as I just did at explaining it though. <laughs> I think that was his problem. I kind of understand it a bit more now, I guess, what you're saying, which is there's a really long-term thing at play which is inflation's going down and this spike in inflation could be a relatively short-term story. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, even if it's three years, four years, you know, we're to, like we're talking about the downtrend in inflation is like 20, 25 years really. I mean, since the 90s, it's been mm. in effect, you know, with, with a few ups and downs. But the trend line from 1995 to now is, is down. Right. So what do they do? What do they – how do you manage this as, a, as like an economist or as a, I don't know – Fed Chair Powell or whoever you know, well, Philip Lowe. I mean, I, I think this is this is the one thing that the the central banks are sort of saying. Like we've got one we've got one lever to lean on, which mm. is interest rates, and it's just not an interest rate problem. Like if it's secular disfla- di- disinflation that's driven by maturing global economies and you know the fun- like changes in the geopolitical economic makeup of the entire globe that's not something any one nation can change with their interest rates mm. and the best you can do is sort of tinker at the edges and that and so that's what we're, what we've seen i think over the past 20 years is central banks chasing their tail they keep lowering rates and right. and and boosting asset markets in the process but for all that you know they they're, they're pumping asset markets but it's not feeding through into to inflation and they keep undershooting mm. So the, yeah, there isn't some, there isn't anything that the that the um, the central banks can really do, right? Well, but 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 their mandate, their sort of their hands are tied because their mandate says if if inflation is lower than your target, then you should cut rates, right? And so that's what and so that's what there's a bit of talk at the moment about whether the coming into this this period of inflation, there was a lot of talk about whether the targets were set too high. So in in Australia, it's two two to three percent. That's the the RBA's target band. People are saying, well, maybe it should be half a percent to one and a half percent. Right. Or, that that or would make so, sense. Hmm. Yeah, like two to three percent is just an arbitrary figure. There's not there's right. not really an economic <laughs> logic. <laughs> I'm not sure if that gives me comfort learning that, or just like <laughs> or I'm just totally dis- even more disillusioned with. With policymakers, where we find out that two to three percent was just like a number that seemed like it felt good, so we were just like, "Yeah, I think that's about where we want to be." Yeah, yeah. But it's good. Like at least we could change it. Yeah, yeah, we can. Has we it can always been two to three percent, or has it been? Uh, yeah, since the target came in. But like the, the idea of inflation targeting central banks isn't that old. Like yeah. that's a that's a like nineteen ninety, I don't know, three or four or something that came in for Australia. Oh right. 
Yeah, so it's it's not like a forever thing. What did we do before we targeted inflation? We just how did we know what we were doing? <laughs> we just we were just a rudderless ship <laughs> adrift in the on the ocean. No, no, we well, we used we used interest rates and money supply, the two tools of monetary mm. policy. We used those to target growth, right, and to target GDP growth, and that was part of the mix of of working with GDP, like yeah. trying to and full employment. Those were the objectives, and then there was the sort of the the paradigm shift that happened in the eighties and nineties, where we went like, you know what, it's just better if the central banks ditch kind of everything else and mm. only look at inflation. And just go like we don't care about anything but inflation. Right. It's a bit like in you get a really gun fullback to just <laughs> to tag the full forward and just take him out of the game. Right. Gotcha. It's, yeah. it's a bit like that. They just went like let's just take inflation off the table. Mm. We'll get the central banks just take that. That that means our central banks can't do anything else in terms of growth or whatever. Mm. But at least then inflation's out of the game. Right. That, that was that was the idea. Yeah. We're going to tackle inflation by kicking him in the shins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, so what's going on with the Perth Mint? Why are we, why are we talking about this? Perth Mint's in a bit of trouble, actually. Yeah, mm. they're Austrac, which is the Australia's Financial Crimes Authority. Mm. Um, they're investigating them and they've ordered an audit of the Perth Mint. Mm. Yeah. What does the Perth Mint do? Well... Quite a lot, as it turns out. I thought, <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought mean, it was just just a glorified museum, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a thing. It, and it, it processes. It is the world's largest producer of freshly minted gold in yeah in the world. Wow, the world's largest. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it mints more gold than anything any other mint in the world. Hmm. Yeah, ten percent of annual global gold production comes out of Perth Mint. Yeah, right. Yeah, so and it's massive, and yeah, so turned over twenty six billion dollars worth of gold last year. Why is Austrac? Why are they after the mint? Or well, the gold, obviously. Yeah, they were just like us. They like worked out they're holding yeah, twenty six billion dollars worth of gold. <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> You guys are going, what? <laughs> so not only do they mint all this gold, but they also um, they hold $6 billion worth of gold on behalf of its clients. Mm. Yeah, so it's like a custodian of gold. Okay. Yeah, and central banks, sovereign wealth funds and individuals from 130 different countries have gold stored with uh, the Perth Mint. They even have their own app to facilitate trading of gold. Is it called, like, is it Choc Mint or something like that? Like, <laughs> I just hope it's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> that would be Where Choc is full of mint. <laughs> um, gold Pass, that's the name of it. Gold that. Pass, it's disappointing. Pass the Mints. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do nighttime tours. They're called After Dinner Mints. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, enough of that. Yeah, it's gold. Um, yeah. So yeah. So so they so they manage this all this gold on behalf of clients, mm. uh, but apparently their practices for sort of the counter terrorism and money, anti money laundering practices were a bit lax. Oh, yeah. Austrac's come after them. So the Austrac probably the last time we heard of, heard of them, they went after CBA and Westpac. 
mm. um, because their anti-money laundering practices weren't up to scratch. And CBA and Westpac ended up settling with them, I think, um, right. improving their practices. But yeah, so now now they're now they're coming after the Perth Mint. Who owns the mint? Is it a is it a government thing or is it a? This is the thing. It's it's a it's owned by the West Australian government. Ah. Oh. Yeah, well, that's good news and bad news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bad news in the sense of like if you know George Clooney and Brad Pitt mm. orchestrate a complex heist and steal money from the gold from the from the Perth Mint, the West Australian people via the government are on the hook for any losses. Ah, right, that's a problem. Yeah, and it's, and it's, I think it's one of these things where it was set up. It was it was running as a, a government mint, mm. doing the the stuff that mints are supposed to do, and then became started working like a vault, like right. a safe deposit box for around the world. And then that business just grew and grew and grew. And there was no sort of conscious decision where the West Australian government went. You know, we should get into like working as a as a bank for mm. in international international yeah. markets are just sort of like just evolved out like that way mm. you know queensland's not going to go you know let's set up a let's set up a mint and let's store mm. gold for, for it wasn't people. the intention like, mm, mm. It's just that happened this thing one thing led to another <laughs> <laughs> and before you know it we're, we're holding 26 billion worth of gold for people yeah. and we've got an app <laughs> <laughs> like these things have a habit of escalating quite quickly so 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 if if fines come then that means the taxpayers on the hook right yeah so but they've got a bit of time they've got 18 months so that they've got to appoint an auditor the auditor then has 18 months to report and then they've got to tidy up tidy up shop so they've got a bit of, they've got a bit of time there but mm. yeah but there's there's one guy like uh, one analyst was saying like if it's come to this it means it's pretty pretty sloppy you know normally Australia will go in and go like oh okay look you know, this spreadsheet needs updating just do that mm. but like if it's come to this they're appointing auditor he's saying this implies there's a whole buffet of failure right at, at the mint smorgasbord of of failure mm. it's hard to do like some clever accounting as well you know you can sort of hide numbers and stuff in complex spreadsheets you try to do that with gold bullion and it's very difficult you could have like just place things uh yeah here and there all right why don't we take a quick break here we'll grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. You can, of course, send us an email if you like, cve at equitymates.com or via the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. You'll also find us on Instagram and Facebook at cve podcast. And a reminder, community.equitymates.com for the online forum featuring us along with the whole Equitymates media gang. Uh, get involved there. But Thomas, Goldman mm-hmm. Sachs has another subprime problem. What's going on? Didn't they learn their lesson? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, another one. Well, the GFC. GFC. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. Well, that wasn't specifically a Goldman's problem. but really Well, I think, <laughs> I think you'll find it was a pretty big problem for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, fair enough, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, they 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 got a they got a subprime problem. That was that was the the headline that CNBC was running during the week. Mm. Um, yeah, it turns out that their credit card business is the worst in the industry. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a new thing. So Goldman Sachs is traditionally like they're an investment bank, mm. uh, and typically they're only dealing with institutional players. You, you know, your mum and dad retail sector is not something they ever catered to, mm. but they've been trying to get into that. And so a couple of years ago, they launched the credit card business. And we learned during the week from a note from JP Morgan that, yeah, that their delinquency rate, their loss rate on credit cards is at just under 3%. That's twice what it is at Bank of America, for example. And it's even worse than Capital One, which is the largest subprime player among the big banks. So they're at 2.2%. So it's considerably worse than than even like the subprime players. So subprime is a this is a, sort of an American thing. We don't have this so much, but you have your you have credit scores mm. um, in America, and there's a sort of a algorithm that sort of pulls together a bunch of things to give you a credit score. You get a score between three hundred and fifty and eight hundred and fifty. And then it sort of says anything below 660, it's not a firm definition, but that's sort of the, the benchmark. Anything below 660 is subprime. Right. Um, so not. And how did awesome. the how did subprime, because that, that's the term that resonates with me with the GFC, mm. how, did the sub, how did subprime cause the GFC? Yeah, so what, what you had in the GFC, you had subprime mortgages. So mm. um, there was a sort of an explosion in subprime mortgages where anyone – regardless of their credit score, could get a mortgage, um, which was itself problematic. But then those subprime mortgages were bundled up into mortgage-backed securities, Mm. which sort of concentrated and leveraged them. And then those mortgage-backed securities were sort of bought and sold and some banks took on really high exposures to those mortgage-backed securities. And then when the the mortgages beneath them collapsed, then the the mortgage-backed securities collapsed and then that's when Bear Stearns and some others hit the wall. Right. And went bust. And that caused... So, yeah, so initially in the global, the global financial crisis was, kind, I think, kind of an Australian thing that we started calling it the GFC. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if, if you know, certainly like a while ago, maybe, maybe less so now, but, you know, Americans didn't have a GFC. It's a bit like the World Series baseball. It's like, <laughs> right. Like everything in America is global. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was called the subprime crisis for a long time. Why does Goldman's have so many subprime borrowers like so they they just started targeting well the interesting thing is that so they they paired up with apple apple wanted to launch an apple card yeah 
So they wanted to launch a credit card to they got 100 million iPhone users in in America mm. and they wanted to to target that market with a credit offering. And they wanted to, so they're looking for a banking partner to do that. A whole bunch of banks went, nah, that's too risky. We don't want to get involved. So normally Apple works with Barclays, but Barclays said no. Credit mm. Suisse said no. A couple of others went, nah, we're not doing it. But then Goldman Sachs went, yep, yeah, we'll, we're going to have a crack. We're, we're going to do this. Right. We'll be the banking partner behind Apple Card. And so they launched Apple Card in 2019. Right. And it kind of sounds like Apple was really keen, like the sort of the play for Apple here is that it's more about locking people into the Apple ecosystem Mm. and making credit part of that ecosystem. And so they were keen to push that out to as many as that hundred million as possible. Um, But if you're talking, if you're talking iPhone user, it's probably, it's not much of a screen. So, so like your Bank of America, which has a better credit, like a, a better delinquency rate, then, you know, they're much more selective in who they're offering credit to. I would think that um, it wouldn't be a lot of subprime borrowers that could afford an iPhone. Though. <laughs> well, so I, don't, I don't think, I don't think subprime is like, you know, poor. Subprime, oh. like prime is like quality. Right. Subprime is like not, not great quality. Right. But it's fair. Yeah, so like it's it's okay. iPhone SE type user. <laughs> 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 you know, it's not it's not it's not we're not talking when we're talking subprime, we're not talking people without jobs and right. with with 20 credit cards and a, a drug addiction or something. I thought subprime in my mind, I was like that they're just like high risk like really bad borrowers. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I don't think that's true. I mean, that was that was sort of how it was presented in the big short. In right. that movie, where it was like women working at strip clubs with no dependable income, mm. getting more, getting multiple mortgages for investment properties. That, that's how they sort of sold subprime, and there was there was an element of that. But subprime, you know, isn't it's a higher bar than what you think. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Right. So that's how they got into it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that that's how they got into it, and then. I mean, the, sort of the interesting thing is with like this. The report we learnt about this from a report from J.P. Morgan, mm. which is a bit like Coles writing a report about how Woolworths <laughs> food isn't that fresh. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it may just be the play here is that, that Goldman Sachs has gone, like, we have no retail offering. We don't have, you know, like, say, you know, Westpac here has a retail customer and then they can go, hey, you, you do your, you've got a savings account with us. Do you want a credit card? Mm. And so it's, it's an easy... Goldman Sachs didn't have any of that. They had no customer contact. Right. And so Apple comes along and goes, here's 100 million customers. Yeah. You can you can pitch to them. And it might be the case that they just go like, well, we, you know, it's a bit... We, take, we have a riskier loan book than we otherwise would, but we've, mm. we've got access to 100 million customers. So maybe it's worth it. Yeah, so yeah, I guess it, that's the question: is do they do they care? Like, is it, who who cares about this number being so low or that um, or so high as it were of so subprime yeah. um, borrowers? Does Goldman Sachs care, or are they like, meh, that's fine, we'll, we'll, we'll wear yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's. The, the, I mean, they're not they're not answering questions on it right. in the in the CNBC tried to contact them and they they didn't want to talk about it. But yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's it's potentially a problem. Like, if in a, if we if America moves into recession, and then like those subprime borrowers are the ones that are going to go um, under first, 
Mm. And that could create a la- large losses on the on Goldman Sachs books. But from memory, Goldman Sachs pockets are pretty deep. Pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would probably be out of What wear about it. Apple, though? How's Apple yeah, positioned? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how much cash does Apple have on it? <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a rough. It's been a rough couple of months in the market. Apple's down to I think near, almost yeah. mom could almost be back to three trillion. I don't three know. Could, yeah, brand recognition is <laughs> an issue for them. <laughs> yeah, like they might. Yeah, that's right. They might just not care. Mm. And and the other the only the, there was a talk in the industry that the Goldman Sachs isn't chasing debt as hard as some of the other players in the market. Right. So, like, if someone stops repaying, they're not going hard after them. Yeah. They might not just have the systems in place, but because they're not chasing them hard, they're not showing up. They're they're showing up in the delinquency data more than right. they would at they would at other banks. Hmm. Yeah. I guess if worse comes to worse, they can always just launch a buy now pay later. All right, Thomas, first there was Nikola Tesla, the man who invented electricity, if I'm not mistaken. Then there was Tesla. <laughs> now there's Nikola, the company. <laughs> What's going on at Nikola? Yeah, yeah. So Nikola, Nikola followed Tesla. Uh, Nikola launched itself as an uh, electronic truck mm. Uh, manufacturer. So Tesla Tesla first launched in 2003, Nikola launched in 2014, so like 11 years after. Yeah, and turns out not a great company, not a great product, not even a product. Mm. Not in the <laughs> end. <laughs> it's, it's, it's brought many a company unstuck yes. in the past is when you don't have anything to sell. Yeah. I think that's always been a challenge when you don't offer any products or services. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you say you do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't teach that in business school. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, does, it seems less and less important these days. It, like, it's just, it used true, to be yeah. that you should turn a profit with your business too, but that doesn't mm. seem to be so much of a thing anymore. As long no. as you might turn a profit one day, people are pretty happy to buy in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that, that was the, the management philosophy that the CEO founder, Trevor Milton, uh, mm. was following. Um, he's now he's gone on trial last last week. His the jury was selected, and his the trial starting this week. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office is alleging that he lied about nearly all aspects of the business. Nearly all, yeah, <laughs> yeah, nearly all aspects of the business. That's that's pretty damning. Yeah. Although that says to me there was some there was some highlights in there. There were some high points. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. <laughs> You know, yeah. What did, he, what did he get right? Like the address, postal address, <laughs> business. He registered. He got an ABN. Anything you could get for free, business yeah. related. Marked out some car parks. Yeah. So he. So he's he's facing two counts of securities fraud and two counts of wire fraud. Facing up to twenty five years in prison. Hmm. Basically, saying he just he just talked up the company way too much um, and lied. Is, is the allegation. Right. Just lied about a whole bunch of stuff. The, the allegations are pretty f- pretty damning slash funny. Mm. Uh, it said that the allegation is that um, he Milton said this first semi-truck prototype, the Nikola One, was fully functional, mm. but it wasn't. Ah. I don't think it even existed. Just missed. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not enough to say that's in the grey area. <laughs> Do you have uh, a truck? Yes. 
Do you really have a truck? No, I don't no. have any trucks. <laughs> any trucks. Got an idea for? I've got truck. an idea for. I got some drawings of trucks. Would you like some drawings of trucks? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He said that. Yeah, he said that. that he also had en- said that Nicola had engineered and built an electric pickup truck called the Badger. Oh, yeah. um, said that he did that entirely on his own, uh, but prosecutors saying he had little more than concept sketches and renderings <laughs> at the time he made those statements. <laughs> and it was just a picture of a furry animal. Here it is. It's the badger. It's the badger. <laughs> he sounds a bit. He sounds mad. Yeah, and then when he did eventually create a prototype of mm. the badger. The truck was in fact built by a third-party vendor and not by not by Nicola. Oh no! And was based on designs from another automaker. It was a rebadged badger. Rebadged badger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then he also he showed investors a video of a prototype truck driving along a road. Mm. Turns out he just took the truck to the top of a hill and rolled it down <laughs> <laughs> and filmed it. Uh, it was. It, we might have just been. Presume you had to stop the truck at some point. You might have just been demonstrating the braking capabilities of the <laughs> truck, the stopping power. <laughs> I think he just, edit, just edit. ignore the fact that it's rolling down a hill. We'll watch it break. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then yeah. The, uh, so he, Milton also told investors that Nikola was producing hydrogen gas, right. which it wasn't. Uh, had developed electric vehicle batteries in house, which mm. it hadn't, and it had binding orders representing a billion dollars in revenue, uh, which it hadn't either. It didn't. Which <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah, so nearly all aspects of the business. Mm, it's, hard, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what, it, at which point it came unstuck. <laughs> yeah. So there's so many places where it could have. I mean, this is the thing. So mm. he launched in 2013. By 2020, before it had come undone, the share mm. price was up to $90 a share. Mm. Um, it's now a crash. It's now $5 a share. Right. Um, I think this is yeah. the same guy. He's actually under investigation or there's a case pending or was pending because he, he bought a farm with Oh, yeah, a stocks. ranch in Texas. <laughs> a <Yeah>. ranch <laughs> with stocks, with uh, Nikola stocks that were valued at like, I don't know, something silly. Like, well, I think that was $16 or something at the time, but they were discounted oh, right. stocks or whatever. Yeah, actually got undone by a uh, short seller, so Heidenberg Research. Oh, right. Um, yeah, uncovered the sort of fraud allegations and... Yeah. Then that's when the share price cashed. And then, and then, I mean, interesting, like talking about the role of short sellers in the market, but I think the, the attorney's office got, in, got involved after the short sellers released all the research and it be, kind of came embarrassing. I'm like, okay, I guess we better charge this guy <laughs> with something. <laughs> I'm just looking here. Even their logo, it looks like they've just rearranged the, the Nokia logo <laughs> letters. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought, you know, someone launches Tesla and then someone launches Nikola. Mm. Like that's a that's a bit of a red flag. Yeah, like kind of like that's not that's not an innovative vision driven company. It's like expecting Panasonic quality when you're buying Palsonic at Kmart in the nineties. Like, (laughs) yeah. 
All right, that does us for this week on Comedian versus Economist. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love it if you left us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. And don't forget FinFest happening October 15th. Head to equitymates.com forward slash FinFest for all the details. But for us, it's bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 